This episode of Tester's Island Discs is sponsored by TestRail. TestRail helps you manage and track your software testing efforts. Its intuitive, web-based user interface makes it easy to create test cases, manage test runs, and coordinate your entire testing process. Easily track and follow the status of individual tests, milestones, and projects with dashboards and activity reports. Get real-time insights into your testing progress and boost productivity with personalized to-do lists, filters, and email notifications. Try TestRail for free today by following the link in the episode description. Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. and welcome back to another special episode of Tester's Island Discs. It's episode number 50, 50 episodes under our belt. It's also our four-year anniversary, which roughly lines up because we do about one episode a month. And I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, Sam Connolly. Sam hails from Tasmania in Australia and is now living and working in Sydney. She's a tester and consultant for both mobile and back-end systems, working primarily in financial and e-commerce services. And you may recognize her online where she's been building her brand for over a decade now under the name Bug Hunter Sam. Welcome onto the podcast, Sam. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Happy to celebrate the uh, 50th episode with you. It's always a a fun challenge lining up a recording this far around the world. And I I always like to have a... uh, kind of a conversation about how different our cultures are. I mean, you, you're technically at the end of August, you're coming out of winter now, right? I saw some cherry blossoms today. They're coming into bloom. We've got, hmm. we're coming into springtime. It's just amazing. I know our winters here in Australia aren't as depressing as they are in the UK. I lived in Sweden for a year. I know what a cold winter is hmm. like, uh, but it's just still springtime is still such a lovely time of year, no matter no matter what time, where you are in the world. If it's any consolation, your winter temperatures are very, very similar to the UK summer this year. We had one hot week and that's been about it. It's been very wet. Uh, it's been, I know you can't judge climate change on a, on a very, very small set of data, but I have physically noticed in, in the past few years that, that the weather is certainly um, going through a, a change. We're coming out of an El Nino uh, this season, which means that our winter's actually been a little bit wetter than usual, uh, which is really good uh, because it means we've gotten a bit more rainfall and hopefully we don't get really bad bushfires again this year. But I am concerned that climate change is going to make the, those bushfires uh, worse in, in my local area. Hmm. I mentioned that you grew up originally in Tasmania. Now, for people who don't know their geography, uh, that's uh, Tasmania is an island state that sits off the coast, uh, the south coast of Australia. Uh, and it's, I think the, the, the Bass Strait is something like 100 kilometres wide, they're, they're take, give or take, which, I mean, that's like three times as wide as the gap between England and France. What's your relationship like growing up with, with the mainland? Did Tasmania have very much its own identity? Short answer, yes, Tasmania does have its own sense of identity. Uh, In terms of landmass, it's actually a very similar size to Ireland, but has a population of about 500,000 people, and what Ireland is about 7 million people. Uh, So if you could imagine a a tiny part of Ireland's population just scattered around maybe two cities. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Um, The joke in Australia 
uh, is that all Tasmanians are inbred because it's got such a tiny population. Uh, <laughs> so the joke is that all Tasmanians have two heads. Uh, and uh, whenever I meet another mainlander or someone else and the, the conversation of growing up in Tasmania comes up, I'm like, oh, yes, I, I had to get my second head removed uh, before I could escape the state. Uh, and the scar's <laughs> healing really nicely. <laughs> <laughs> you describe yourself on your blog as a, a hipster bogan. Now, what are those two words? I know what it means, but <laughs> can you explain what, what, what a hipster bogan involves? Uh. Uh, well, you know, a bogan is meant to be a derogative term, uh, like a yobbo or a, a low low social class. Uh, I don't know. Is there an equivalent in the in the UK? Um, there, are, there are a few. I mean, the, the big one at the moment is the the word uh, they they call them chavs, which is sort of in a, in a city, very not quite white trash, but kind of yeah, very working class, um, dressing in shell suits, that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm, yeah, so the um, the stereotypical bogan, I think, in Australia is often a tradie. Uh, it's probably not all that literate. My my dad, I think, is a stereotypical bogan. Uh, he's got some missing teeth. He's got tattoos. He wear he wears blue singlets, uh, and uh, likes to drink. He's not quite a VB drinker, but uh, it's almost to that uh, that type of stereotype. Uh, and I guess the hipster term is often associated with someone who's grown up in the in the city or likes pretentious things like craft beer or uh, if I could grow a beard or a moustache, um, I'd probably have a full-on hipster moustache. Um, but I call myself a hipster bogan because I like both avocado on toast, and this is why I can't afford a house right now, um, <laughs> and craft beer uh, and come from a, a working-class family too. So what was your journey like going from the wilderness of Tasmania into discovering testing? How did that come about? Uh, my journey into testing. It's an interesting story. I was uh, studying uh, mechatronics engineering at uni uh, because I didn't know what I wanted to do uh, and mechatronics sounded cool. I thought, you know, <laughs> building robots would be uh, an interesting adventure. Uh, so I was studying that with combined with computer science and a diploma in Japanese. I really had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought research on robotics in Japan sounded cool. So let's try that. Um, then I developed a chronic depression and the engineering was too hard. I managed to drop the engineering, but I was three quarters of the way through a computer science degree. And I, so to get a piece of paper a bit quicker, I, I stuck with tech. And while I was going through uni, uh, I was actually applying for web developer roles because I wanted something that was a bit more related to my uh, studies compared to working in the supermarket, being a checkout chick in the in the, in the the deli. I just wanted a slightly uh, more hands-on experience. So I was applying for web developer roles and they were like, oh, actually, we want someone with a little bit more experience, but you could consider applying for our testing roles. Uh, so I started applying for software testing roles and uh, got a part-time job while I was studying. And I was testing point-of-sale software to go into supermarkets so <laughs> i had i had seven years experience working in uh supermarkets uh so i already had the industry expertise uh and that's how i started in the software testing space uh got into a contract while i was just finishing up my uni studies as well uh and then so that means by the time i got to my graduate job in sydney that i moved for 
I had a year's worth of industry experience as a, as a software tester. Fantastic. We hear so many stories about how people say they have so-called fell into testing. But actually, as we hear from your story there, very much it's almost like a guided missile. You'd like every little opportunity drops at the perfect moment for you. And uh, yeah, it, you, you must now be at the point where you're like, I could never do anything else. The secret story there is I'm actually studying financial advice part time. Uh, as a potential way out of testing uh, because one of the things I miss from working in the supermarket for seven years is that interaction with customers. Um, and so I'm actually trying to upskill in a slightly different area that gives me more opportunities to talk to people and try to add more value. I feel like as a tester sometimes we can feel so for, so separated from the, the products we're trying to build um, or, the, or the customers' lives we're trying to enhance and I'm just trying to get back to that situation. I wouldn't say like software testing is the bee's knees when it comes to careers. It's definitely something I've enjoyed doing and I enjoy learning how products work, um, but also trying to work on products that add a lot of value to other people's lives. My favorite projects that I've worked on have been ones that nearly everyone in my community is well aware, aware of. That's certainly what's led me to my new role at Postman is, yeah, I am now working with tools that I know would benefit in the day-to-day -day lives of testers. Uh, I'm starting to get involved in things like um, there's a, a big DevRel branch at, at Postman, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit of discussion about, about developer relations later. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you that it's very easy for us to lose sight of who we're building things for. You know, at best, sometimes we'll have some user personas written down, which are, you know, quasi fake people that might be a bit like the people we're working for, but they're not the actual people. Uh, and one of the things I'm really enjoying at Postman is it, it does get me closer to the actual community. But uh, enough about me. Let's start to talk about the reason why you're here. So you've been uh, marooned on the Testers Desert Island. You are the 50th inhabitant. It's probably, probably a little bit denser populated than Tasmania, but you are person number 50. And you are bringing your selection of five songs that best represent what music means to you and Anne. Can you tell us, Sam, what is the first song that you've chosen today? The first song I picked today is Yuva Yuva Yu by The Hue. This is a Mongolian uh, folk metal band and I just thought it was really interesting to throw in the mix there. That's The Hue with Yuve Yuve Yu, I believe the first Mongolian band on the podcast. We certainly haven't had a lot of folk metal. Uh, actually, going back all the way to episode one, Alex Schladerbeck picked The Levelers, who are probably the closest we've got to that, who are in the UK, who are kind of folk rock. But uh, yeah, the very interesting sounds of The Hue. So Sam, one of the things I really want to talk to you about today, mostly because I want to pinch some of your best ideas, is the concept of, of building your personal brand. So Bug Hunter Sam is very well known across the world. When did you decide that uh, you wanted to, to have an identity such as that? The thing is, I should probably go to what my Twitter handle was before I had Bug Hunter Sam. And it was Sammy underscore Lee 12. This is a username I set up when I was 12, <laughs> hence 
hence the 12 in the title. Uh, and this was my first Hotmail account, uh, which has been part of many data breaches uh, these days. Uh, there was a particular time where I'm like, I'm establishing myself as a professional. I probably shouldn't have the same username I set up as a 12-year-old. <laughs> Yeah, I very much went through that phase too. A couple of retired email addresses that I used to have. My first email address was a Yahoo one that was Neil underscore HMV, back when I used to work at the music store HMV. I was like, well, that's not very professional. But the one I had after that was, uh, as a teenager, I was very much into the Backstreet Boys and I had Neil at largerthanlife.co.uk after the Backstreet Boys song. That, funnily enough, didn't make the professional cut. And we're now, uh, now I have my own name as a domain name, which seems more sensible. Uh, yeah, so... Uh... Again, back in uni, uh, I, I studied a little bit of web development and uh, that was the first time I purchased my own domain and it was a very, it was a very bog standard domain name. It was samanthaconnolly.com. Um, in fact, I think the URL is still up at the moment, but the SSL certificate has expired because I forgot to maintain it. Uh, as I was going through my career, there were opportunities to rebrand and try and develop an online presence. I can't remember how I settled on Bug Hunter Sam, but I, I think in one of my uh, earlier roles, um, the testers gathered round and in one of the discussions we had, we were like, what would we call ourselves if we could give ourselves any title? And a couple of conversations, uh, it's like, it's kind of related to the whole QA versus tester. What do you like to identify with? And if you had to stick with a QA term, why not change what QA stands for? And I personally don't like QA because I can't uh, QA any more than some random scrub off the street. And at the end of the day, your customers have stronger opinions on what is good quality and what isn't. And I'm only a mere proxy for their opinions. And I, I can only help you identify issues in software. Uh, I can't assure its quality at all. So I knew I didn't want to call myself a QA uh, and was leaning towards uh, tester or test engineer. Um, and in the, the team I was working with, someone was like, how about product risk investigator? I'm like, cool. <laughs> I like that. That's actually on my business card. So when I'm feeling fancy, I'll call myself a product risk investigator because the whole point of a title um, is to uh, impart curiosity. If if you hand your business card to someone and it says QA or tester or something like that, uh, people will automatically switch off. They have got some sort of idea of what you already do, but they're already making assumptions about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis based off their own experiences or a whole bunch of other things. So I started introducing myself as a product risk investigator. And uh, it's still on my business card. It is, it is pretty cool. Mm. However, if you're at the family barbecue uh, and you're trying to introduce what you do, what do you say? Like no, one's, no one at the family barbecue is going to understand what QA is. So I'm a software tester. I help find bugs in software. Uh, you know that bit of software, you know, if you're banking platform and you get really irritated that it doesn't quite work as expected, um, I try to make it really relatable and it's about being approachable and talking about my career and what I do in real layman's terms. It's like mm. I help companies find bugs in their software 
hopefully before you as a customer get to experience them. And so I was thinking about, well, how would I introduce myself as a software tester at the family barbecue? I'm like, well, Bug Hunter. Okay, I'll uh, I'll see if uh, Bug Hunter Sam is is available as a as an alias. And lo and behold, I got to take it. And since then, I've been able to have a lot of fun with the with the branding, because the the whole idea behind Bug Hunter Sam is that it's approachable. It's layman's terms. I'm not trying to be super smart or really pretentious. Uh, I can be down to earth and approachable and I can bring an authentic version of myself uh, to that brand. Um, I can be colorful. Uh, I like to use uh, the ladybug uh, color scheme. Uh, if I do use a little bit of branding, um, I'm very much a big fan of uh, ladybugs and I love being able to to bring that to, to Bug Hunter Sam. Hmm. So there must come a point when you're trying to build a brand where you have to kind of commit fully to it because, I mean, you mentioned obviously you registered the domain name and then obviously there's things like logos. Um, there must be a point in which you, you need to be pretty sure that that's the one you want to go with before you start building out all those resources. Uh, I'm thinking of other testers who've done very similar things. Obviously, Richard Bradshaw is the friendly tester. Dan Billing is the test doctor. And there are many other people. I've not been on Twitter uh, long enough. Uh, Lee Marshall, the pirate tester. I'm just thinking of ones that are very, very memorable. Uh, and, and yourself, of course. When you first thought, okay, Bug Hunter Sam, did, did you know from the start that was definitely the one you wanted to go for? Yes. When I when I said Bug Hunter Sam out loud, there was something that said, "Yeah, that that feels right. That has a nice ring to it." Uh, yeah. I think I can have fun with that as a as a brand. Yeah, I'm still stuck on trying to come up with something. I mean, I've obviously just go by my own name at the moment, but I, I would like something like that. Something where you know, sometimes a, a phrase is easier to remember than a name. Um, <laughs> we'll get through to the end of this episode but i mean at the moment the best i'm coming up with is is a uh, quality avocado which doesn't seem to be taken but uh, <laughs> um, while i continue to stew over whether that name is as terrible as i think um let's talk about your second song choice today for my second song i've picked spread your wings by queen queen is one of my favorite bands. i have seen queen live not with freddie mercury they had adam lambert fronting the band and Adam's a really, really fun character to front Queen, and I really enjoyed that that whole experience. And the reason why I picked Spread Your Wings rather than something more popular by, by Queen is I wanted to share something that was a little bit more obscure. Um, and also, literally, the first word in this song is my name. It goes Sammy. <laughs> um, and it's about trying to discover yourself um, and... You know, the first, the sentiment is, you know, Sammy's working a dead-end job in a bar and he needs to spread his wings and uh, uh, experience some sort of freedom. He needs to make a name for himself. I really resonated with the story in the song.
that was Spread Your Wings by Queen, which name checks Sammy in the lyrics. Uh, I don't think of any songs that name check Neil. Not a very popular name on that front, I'm afraid. But to continue our discussion about the content that you're putting out there, Sam, um, one of the things you do quite a lot is is online streaming and broadcasting on, on YouTube. Uh, I think I'm probably about four years behind you in terms of the content that you're creating. You, you've got a, a rich history of trying different formats of things, uh, and you've obviously now settled into more of a routine. But where did the the idea come from to start doing regular or semi-regular uh, streaming online? I originally got the inspiration for streaming from Noobcat on Twitch, aka Sue Hinton. Sue Hinton is a fellow Australian who's now living in the US. And I met her at a conference a few years ago and she was running a workshop on how to do Arduino development. Uh, It was a really cool workshop and I really enjoyed the experience. Um, But because I met her and then she told me she was doing live programming on Twitch for embedded hardware, you should really check out her channel if you are interested in how you can incorporate open source, hardware, live coding. She has a really cute setup. Uh, That got me thinking, if there's an audience for live programming, why not live testing? So I actually started my Twitch channel a little while ago with that inspiration. I didn't kick it off completely because I was still trying to find my feet um, and I was gearing towards potentially doing more live coding sessions, but the live exploratory testing seemed to be uh, an easier bar to fill. I didn't have to do a huge amount of preparation. I can live stream the event and put it straight up onto YouTube 24 hours later without a huge amount of editing. So it seems like an easier way of, of generating content. And that's how that's how the Twitch stream started. Yeah, I think getting it to be, getting it to feel frictionless is a really, really important part of it. I started my own Twitch channel probably a, a year ago. Uh, when I was in a house, I had very, very poor internet. So I think I did two very poor, or at least the, either the quality was, was bad or it kept cutting in and out. And I decided to park the live streaming for a while and I started pre-recording and just uploading to YouTube. But I really want to get back to doing um, Twitch streaming because there, there is, yeah, that, that live feel does have a, a certain aura to it, particularly when you've got people commenting in real time, that that's uh, that could be really good fun. Were you doing uh, video games or other testing? I was focused. It was a mixture of... Um, sort of basic sort of a little bit of sort of programming stuff where I was do, doing some like let's write python scripts to to solve a particular programming challenge some of it was live exploratory testing sessions uh again it's very similar to you I was kind of trying trying to find what works for me I've got some some branding for it it's a series called let's explore and I've got like a rocket ship logo uh it was very much something I was putting out there when I was trying to make myself look appealing to postman <laughs> now that I actually have that that role I shouldn't just be complacent and just not do it anymore I need to get back into doing some some let's explore episodes uh but yeah you, you yourself have settled into um regular one-on-one uh live streaming of pair testing um I, as I said, I found it challenging enough just trying to maneuver myself to do a recording. Are there any particular challenges with when you're trying to have two people on a stream? In an international market, trying to navigate time zones is probably one of the most challenging parts of getting two people live on a live stream. Uh, the funny thing is, I've done some uh, analysis into time zones that would work for me, and my goal is to try and get to two out of three English-speaking parts time zones whenever I offer a live stream option. So, for example, um, often with the UK time, it 
easily overlaps with both India and Australia. And when I look at the main demographic of people who visit my blog, outside of Australia, India is my second biggest demographic. So I want to overlap with the Indian time zone as much as possible. But I also want to try and live stream stuff in the US time zone. And because of daylight savings, and I'm at the bottom end of the world, when daylight savings is happening in the northern hemisphere and not in the southern hemisphere like it is right now, there's an extra two hour difference. So the times that work for me during my winter are different to the times that work well in your summer. Uh, mm. And then trying to overlap that. Um, uh, I just know for right now, uh, winter is hard for me to do uh, US time zones. And it is a real challenge. I haven't been able to pair that much with the US market. I've had one or two people from the US and I've had to get up ridiculously early uh, to be able to support those types of live streams. But I'm totally fine with an excuse to get up early on a on a Monday morning for a live stream uh, because it's nice to get out of bed to feel productive to start the week off. Mm. Fantastic. You've got a really good blog post about uh, the challenges around time zones that I'll link to in the show notes, um, because uh, it's, it's really uh, good to see that, that you're interested in not just what works for you, but what works for, for your audience, obviously. Uh, and part of that is obviously also things like the kits that you use. Uh, and you put a, a video up on YouTube recently that was a, a, that showed not just you know the different qualities of the different cameras and microphones that you've got, but the sheer volume of a device that you've got. These are different ones, presumably, that you've uh, you've acquired over the years you've been trying to upgrade and find better and better kit is this something you take very seriously i'll go back to the sentiment that i started studying mechatronics engineering i really <laughs> like hardware <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and i'm i'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to nerd out over hardware uh in my testing space this i think this is why i like mobile testing is because it incorporates both hardware and software a little bit more so than web front ends technically there is still hardware involved with the web there is a server somewhere but you don't get to touch it uh, whereas the mobile device is a lot more personal and you get a lot more experience with the with the physical hardware and so i think when i was first looking into the the live streaming i knew audio was more important than the little video um, the video takes up the small corner of generally a live stream so i knew getting a decent microphone first was the first option um, most of my equipment is also not brand new i bought it all secondhand uh, because i like to approach things from a sustainability point of view and trying to keep things out of landfill also it's kind of better for the budget as well so i got myself a podcasting microphone to test with audio i got myself like a logitech webcam and that was fine and i wanted to upgrade it it to a mirrorless camera at some point it was not essential by any stretch of the imagination and mm. is still slight overkill for my uh what i'm trying to get out of my live stream uh but i really do like having this nice lens in front of me it gives a nice depth of the the field even though i'm still just a tiny little picture on a on a live stream it feels good to be at a point where i've got a really nice camera and also now that i'm running my own business it is a legitimate business expense didn't have to come out of my personal budget. 
Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to the YouTube video that sh- that shows you. Yeah, you going through the different devices and, and showing what a difference they make to anyone to whom that's just sounded like a weird list of brand names. I think you could summarize it as any effort that you put into to to trying to improve uh, the quality of either your audio or video will be worth it. Like I remember the very first episode I recorded of screen testing with with Dan Billing. We, we recorded an episode zero that we never released. I had like a gaming headset with a headset mic and. It sounded like I was on air traffic control or something. It was ridiculous. And that was the point at which I realized, no, I just need a microphone. Any microphone will be better than what I'm doing now. And I think, yeah, you you don't have to go out there and buy all the studio quality equipment. Um, There was a really good video, another video I'll link to um, in the show notes, a a video by uh, Matt Parker, who's a mathematician slash YouTuber slash blogger slash all sorts, um, who was in, in the very first weeks of the first lockdown, uh, when all the uh, TV hosts started hosting from home, it was basically a video of, of why can't these so-called professionals get it right? Like loads of really basic tips about like being lit properly and uh, the, like closing a curtain and, and all, all sorts of like very basic things that the world needed to learn how to do. Uh, and I, I think, yeah, you can, you can improve your setup without necessarily breaking the bank. Yeah, yeah, definitely start small uh, and test out what works for you. There is nothing wrong with using a gaming headset and a microphone for conference calls. It's, it's perfectly fine. It's just mm-hmm. that, Extra enhancement can make you sound slightly more natural, um, but you really also need to just record yourself and listen to it to see what you like and what you don't like about it too. Yeah. Well, you're now at a point where you seem to certainly come across as extremely polished on your live streams. Do, do you feel that way or is are you kind of like the, uh, what is it, like the, the duck paddling furiously under the water? The live streaming stuff does feel easier now. It still feels like it's just Winging, I'm just winging it and it's all just coming together as it is. I'm letting people self-organize around my own calendar. I'm using a tool called Calendly and I struggle to pronounce it. But it does all the, the time zone management and integrates with all of my, my work calendar, my other work calendar. I have four Gmail accounts that I need to integrate it across. So it can integrate across all my different calendars uh, and manages time zones and sends out notifications and reminders um, and automatic follow-up emails. It is a very cool tool. Um, But I just give people the link. I say, find a Sunday that suits you. Roughly this time zone, because you're in Europe, is quite good for me. And uh, I seem to get enough content um there's been some Sundays that I haven't been able to get someone on board but I haven't beaten myself up over it it does feel like uh all of this is really just a front um (laughs) all of the all of this display um you don't see the the trash that's around around my desk uh empty cans of of uh, (laughs) beverages uh my leftover lunch um the, the stuff that's hiding behind the plant uh, uh, strategically. I think we've, we've um, all got used to that during, during lockdown of just hiding, just out of shot, like the chaos that's going on in our everyday lives. Yes, exactly. I mean, like my yeah. dirty laundry is uh, just, <laughs> just out of shot a little bit. Um, no, setting up a, a really good work from home desk has actually been a real challenge during this. Um, my previous place that I was living in was not set up for work from home at all. And when the lockdowns first happened, my place was freezing because buildings in Australia have no insulation because we don't get cold for some (laughs) weird reason. Um, And it was really dark 
and I had I had like this tiny tiny room because it was it was cheap rent um in a nice in a nice suburb but not very nice for for working from home so if you look through some of my older videos on YouTube you'll see the backgrounds a little different you have like a wardrobe and and whatnot and I literally had a desk right next to my bed and um I sleep in a loft bed because I have an obsession with tiny housing and I want to collect tiny houses one day um and build my own little tiny house at some point and design things but it means that um at the moment I'm sleeping in a loft bed it makes me feel like a big kid because I get to climb in and out of bed uh it's not quite tall enough for me to stand under just yet but literally all my storage all of my stuff uh there's a there's a problem uh there's a joke in in with my partner and I I'm like yeah I've got that somewhere but I think it's underneath my bed <laughs> and uh it it's a bit of a problem trying to find things underneath my bed um but yeah the the challenges with setting stuff up working from home um and trying to get your own life chaos organized enough so that you could be presentable uh on camera well, I think we've put together already a fantastic list of resources that will be there in the notes for anyone who wants to to learn more about building their brand and, and putting themselves out there. We're halfway through the podcast now, so we're going to go on to talk a bit more about the person behind the brand after this. But first of all, um, what's your third song choice, Sam? Huh. Uh, to follow on the, the queer theme with Queen, the next song up is I Like Boys by Todrick Cole. And it is very gay. It is definitely a gay anthem, and I'm totally fine with putting a gay anthem on my playlist. Uh, I'm going to go see Todrick Hall live in December, fingers crossed, uh, and uh, I've invited a friend, one of my old housemates, and we're just going to get our gay on, and I'm going to love it so much. Mama, come, come, doll, take a seat. There's someone you know that you've got to meet. So brace yourself for the big reveal. He's about my height when he's not in heels. Some boys play basketball. He played house with ratchet dolls. It's not Santa Claus, it's time for applause. It's coming out the closet, Mama. I like boys, I like pecs. Like them arms when they flex. Like that print in them sweats. Tell them girls, thank you next. I like when he texts me, texts he pics of them. Like them abs when there's six of them. Tell them girls, I'm sorry. I like boys. That was Todrick Hall with I Like Boys. Now, Sam, amongst the uh, multitude of content that you're putting out there on your blog, uh, you've got a list of your personal values, the, the things that, that matter most to you. Uh, these are things like uh, the importance of community, about adding value to things, about living sustainably. I assume that by defining these and writing them down as, as things that are important to you, you, you really do value these things. Well, that's the point behind the value. Uh, <laughs> I, th I think the act of doing some self-reflection and writing down what they are is really important for when you're dealing with your day-to-day -day life and you're trying to make a decision based on what would align with my values more um, and trying to drive better behaviour. Um, I think it's pretty common for us to think about company values as being like really light and fluffy can be really hard to connect with those and bring them into your day-to-day -day work and often they can feel like it's just corporate jargon that people throw around but I was working for a company and one of their values was make mum proud and 
that was just it was just a really nice heartfelt uh, value. And so I thought about that I could use some down to earth terms that mattered to me in how to think about my values. And that's where I started brainstorming uh, what I wanted to represent. Yeah, make mum proud is, is a much nicer variation on the uh, the don't be a dick that we see a lot of people coming out with. <laughs> I think a lot of those values can be very subjective too, um, but the whole point of them is trying to remind you of who you want to be as a person. Um, I know, for example, the sustainability value of mine is more of a stretch goal. It's more of a uh, something to try to inspire to. It's the um, the idea behind maybe I should eat slightly less meat because it might be slightly better for the environment or try to reuse some of my plastics rather than throwing them out um, or trying to make more sustainable choices. Um, the thing is with one of those values, there's always more I can do. It's not about being perfect though. It's just about trying to encourage me to be a better person moment to moment. Yeah, I think that's really interesting that that, that yeah you you're attempting to to codify uh, who you are and also who you want to be. Um, this is perhaps something where I, I guess we all have these ideas floating around in our heads, um, but to actually write it down and express um, what these things mean to you is really useful. Like I have been um, been reluctant of late to to submit to conferences. Um, even conferences that I could do very easily, particularly now most conferences are online at the moment. Um, I have this this nagging doubt inside me that any time that I were to get a place at a conference, I would be denying someone else's voice. And there are other voices out there that need to be heard more than mine. And um, I need to find a way to put this into words to understand what this means to me, because there are other ways that I could put content out there. And there are ways that I can be an ally to helping others put themselves forward to conferences. And maybe that is what is more important to me right now. Uh, but uh, yes, yeah, I need to, to put that down and explain to people <laughs> what it is that that means to me. If, effectively, I need to become a bit more, um, not just self-knowing but also a bit more transparent i think there is a challenge though with when you choose to be transparent obviously there, there is a limit and I, and I say there is a limit knowing that you have worked on a lap that catalogs poos but there there, there are still out there that there are limits how, how do you know when you are being maybe over transparent one of the things in terms of transparency, if I was to pursue a political career, which I don't think I'm going to, but one of the things I would be very open about up front is that technically uh, I'm relatively open in my relationship with my partner, um, but I've also been very active in the kink community. Uh, and that kind of relates to that, that queer space uh, as well. Um, but it's one of those things that I don't want to bring to the workplace. You don't want to see uh, kinky Sam in the workplace uh, because that stuff uh, has to remain in, in the bedroom. <laughs> um, so in terms of that, um, tr where do you draw the, the line? I think like companies say, like, bring an authentic version of yourself to work. I'm like, you don't want <laughs> complete Sam at work. You want professional Sam at work. Uh, I don't want to bring my complete self, uh, because I feel like that is when you're practicing maybe slightly too much transparency. Yeah, it's layers, isn't it? You, you can bring an authentic slice of yourself. It doesn't need to be the full picture. Exactly. No <laughs> one wants me turning up uh, to work in kinky boots. <laughs> but coming back to your point about conference diversity, you and I 
we're two white fellas. Uh, <laughs> uh, we don't represent a large diversity when it comes to the the speaker crowd. I might represent a little bit slightly more diversity in the in the tech space because I somehow lack two X chromosomes. Uh, but I'm still a white fella, and uh, a lot of my views um, are biased towards those experiences. I can't speak from people from people's point of views of under other underrepresented crowds, people of color, more neurodivergent. Um, there's so much more diversity out there um, than just what the stories we can share because mm. a lot of our stories do come from a place of, of privilege. I've never felt like I've been looked down upon in my career simply because I was a bit tanner than um, the average Australian. And for that, I'm really grateful for. But I'm also very conscious of trying to not take up too much space so that we can also hear those other diverse voices, which are just as important to listen to. Yeah. And this podcast is a platform where I'm trying to make as many of those voices available as possible. Um, to jump ahead to the ending, obviously, we have a, a link in the show notes where you can apply to be a guest on the podcast. I'm also actively now trying to seek out some of those voices. So uh, you may well find um, me reaching out to particular people who I want to hear uh, represented on the podcast. So uh, that's something I'm certainly always trying to do, because like you say, we, we can only do what we can. And when it comes to community, obviously, there's, there are so many different ways we can get involved. Uh, and giving back uh, is obviously very rewarding, but it can also be time consuming. And frankly, it can consume mental energy and it can take energies away that we, that we need to be using elsewhere. How do you learn, you know, either to say no or to regulate the amount of things that you're getting involved in? I'd have to say I'm the wrong person to ask when it comes to trying <laughs> to say no to doing too many things. Uh, historically, I've always had too much on my plate. and I've, I was always a high achieving student that was part of every single student body and participated in everything. And uh, I turned to volunteering when I went through my bout of chronic depression, because it was one thing that did make me feel good was was teaching kids about engineering through Lego robotics workshops. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. But I really was not in the right headspace to be able to take on that extra work but I was still driven towards that community engagement. Um, and I would say I've had to learn the hard way to try and say no to things um, and try to keep a safer guard on my own mental well-being and knowing that I only have so much capacity for things. I like to use an analogy called spoon theory. It's a disability metaphor saying that you only have so much capacity for things during the day. And as you do things during your day, you consume spoons. Most people have infinite amount of spoons and they don't notice when their spoons are being depleted. But if you're struggling through depression or recovering from hospital or any other injury or, or chronic illness, your capacity of spoons is greatly reduced and things can be more expensive and, and consume more spoons. The act of taking a shower might actually consume a noticeable spoon. And so you can use this metaphor to talk about your capacity. And instead of saying, look, I'm just low on energy, you can say, look, I'm out of spoons and I just need to recharge. 
Yeah, and this is going to lead into our, our final sector discussion where we're going to talk about a bit more about mental health and particularly how, how COVID has impacted on that for, for many of us. But before that, we've got your fourth song, which I guess has a, an apt title. But my next song is Wayless Sad by AGR. This is the one pop song I've put on my playlist today. I guess technically there's pop elements to, to all of these songs, but this is this song resonated to me about trying to um, come to terms with the pandemic. Um, we may be struggling with our own mental health issues, our own depression and whatnot, but sometimes we can we don't necessarily have to be happy, but we can feel just a little less sad. I think one of my favourite quotes from the song is, I'm looking at Twitter now and I'm slightly less mad. So I set my bar real low. I'm okay, I'm okay. You say it, but you just don't mean it. You're so insane, you're so insane. Shut up and just enjoy this feeling. Don't you love it? Don't you love it? No, I ain't happy yet. But I'm way. That was AJR with Way Less Sad. And we were talking both before that and kind of during that song about the challenges we've all been facing during lockdown. You've always been someone who has been comfortable talking about mental health issues in the past and writing and tweeting about them. How has lockdown perhaps compared to some of the experiences you've had in the past? Is it an extension of the same feelings or is it is it making old feelings resurface or is it something completely different? Lockdown suck. They are so bad. Mm. I have not thrived uh, during a lot of these lockdowns. I think, I think our mental health is in such a delicate balance. Um, some small things that we take for granted can overthrow that balance a lot. Um, I get a lot of my energy for work when I'm interacting with people and feeling really useful, and working from home has brought on sense of isolation, a lack of connectedness. I've, I've found it really hard to get and maintain motivation for work. Uh, I had a poor performance review from my boss, um, and that's actually some of the motivating factor for now starting my own company is because I felt like I could add more value elsewhere. Yeah, I think for me, the challenge has been that, as I said before on the podcast, I became a father the day before the first lockdown started in the UK. And obviously, that brings its own challenges with it. And everything we've been through in the past 18 months and, and the feelings that I've had, sometimes I'm not sure whether they are lockdown issues or new parent issues. Like sometimes I'm like, am I feeling this way because I'm a bad parent? I'm like, no, I'm feeling this way because I've been trapped inside the house for a year. And it, it's it's a we, we all also have other things going on in our lives. Obviously, we've had people whose family members who've, who've held, whose health have been affected, and it's really difficult to have things piling on on top of other things. I guess kind of the surprise to me is we've been in this situation. Uh, I mean, some of us are beginning to come out of these situations now, thankfully. But you know, it's it's been eighteen months now. You you would think that you think we'd have it all cracked by now, but but things keep blindsiding us all still. Why why do you think we're still finding new surprises? That's an interesting question, Neil. Why are we finding new surprises? I ask myself this nearly every day in my current situation. The government here in New South Wales, we're two months into a second bout of lockdowns. It's like, we've been in this pandemic for a while now. Couldn't we have uh, plans that Delta variant spreads faster? 
uh, that lockdowns in other states have been generally effective. Is there any reason why we had to listen to business advocates over health professionals about how to prevent spread of disease? It has been really frustrating to, to go through another bout of government that is just not paying attention to information that we should have known by now. I think we're still blindsided by this because acknowledging the truth is really challenging. Uh, we have our own biased views of how the world works and confronting that biased view is a real challenge. Sometimes it's easier just to accept the information that helps support your own worldview rather than uh, challenge that worldview. So I would say we're, we're generally blindsided by our own biases. How do you prevent that? Well, you, you do self-reflection and you open yourself up to new experiences. But if you're blindsided by your own biases, you're not exactly going to try and experience uh, new things. So... Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a delicate balance. I find the same thing if I go onto like public, like Facebook or Twitter posts about the pandemic and you, you your eyes glance towards the comments and you're like, hang on, sh should I be obscuring myself from some of these very strange viewpoints or do I need to immerse myself in them to understand what other people are thinking? Because uh, it's, it's, it's a difficult balance. I, I like to think that I'm staying informed in what people are thinking, but when people are thinking such fucking stupid things, it's very difficult to do. <laughs> But people have beliefs with how they want to think how the world works and challenging that is uh, by actually challenging that, you're reinforcing um, yeah. their existing views. Yeah, it's very much a, a flavour of confirmation bias. Yeah, even if you see uh, information that contradicts what you believe, it, it just reinforces and strengthens your your own viewpoint. And uh, it's one of the reasons I'm, I'm not as active on social media as I have been. And actually, I think that's one of the things that, that keeps causing the blindsiding is when you've got things like Facebook showing you what you were doing a year ago or Time Hop showing you what you were doing a year ago. And it's like, oh, right, a year ago, we were doing exactly the same as we were doing now. I think that can help, uh, help you to realise just... Um, the depths of, of where we are right now um, but hopefully we can all find our ways to, our ways to cope uh, and partly that is we've been talking obviously about about community um, and you know putting out podcasts like this hopefully can be reassuring to some people uh, in, in our own little way uh, but we'll get we'll get there yeah well we we all need to support each other through these tough times and what that support looks like for each of us is all individual. What I need to thrive as a contributing member of society is completely different to what you need to thrive in your current situation. Um, and at the end of the day, all we can do is try to listen and be there for each other. And I'm grateful that the test community in particular seems to be very good at that. We've, we've always been a very open group, uh, a group who are happy to share and a group who are happy to support and uh, long, long may that continue. So hopefully ending on a, on a happier note, uh, we'll also finish now, Sam, with your, with your fifth and final song choice. My final song selection is Roundtable Rival by Lindsay Sterling. I put this on the list to represent diversity because it is an instrumental piece. Technically, the first song was kind of in a foreign language, which also represents a bit of diversity. But I realised if I didn't put a female on this list, it would have been just a big list of lokes. Uh, so Linda Sterling is my female representation on this music list. Uh, it's also just really cool uh, violin music. 
uh, and you should check out the the videos for some of these music video. Um, you should check out the music videos for some of these songs as well because this one's pretty kick-ass too. She's basically beating down some boss dudes with bass guitars. Finishing off Sam's song selections today, that's Lindsay Sterling with Round Table Rival. I really can recommend the video for that. It's a yeah, it's a it's a battle off uh, where she's playing an instrument that she terms a violumpet. It's a, a a violin and a trumpet combined. Uh, it's a very very collaborative piece. <laughs> And along with those five song choices, you're allowed to bring a book to keep you company on the desert island. What have you chosen to bring with you? Can I bring a box set? Can I bring bushcraft box set so I know how to survive on this deserted island? Uh, you certainly wouldn't be the first person who's picked a box set. My rule has always been if Goodreads has it recorded as a single entity, as a box set, then you can have it, um, which they do indeed. And you are the first person to bring an actual practical survival book to the island so uh, as guest number 50 you're going to be warmly welcome to the island if you're bringing this with you i I thought with a podcast of testers if you ask them what they're going to bring to a deserted island uh, a survival guide uh might have been mentioned once or twice before this but i'm glad to be the first person to bring a survival book to a deserted island yeah, uh, Louise Gibbs bought a a book about about sewing craft, which could be, be useful to, to to fashion some things. And we've had a couple of people who've bought things like sketchbooks and, and things to keep them uh, occupied. But yeah, now we know now we know how to live. Finally, it only took us fifty episodes, but we can uh, make a fire. Uh, this is going to be a, a fully habitable island that we can all uh, live in forever. Now, fantastic. <laughs> And with that, that brings us to the end of our time together. And uh, before we plough into the, the, the next 50 episodes, the race to episode 100, uh, how can people get in touch with you, Sam, if they'd like to speak more uh, with you in the future? If you'd like to get in touch, you can check out my blog, bughuntersam.com. Uh, I'm also at bughuntersam on Twitter, uh, Twitch, twitch.tv slash bughuntersam. Uh, there's a lot of branding going on around here. Uh, also, my YouTube channels. Uh, if you don't want to watch the the Twitch live stream, uh, they are broadcasted onto YouTube 24 hours after the live stream, and that's youtube.com slash Sam Connolly. Uh, also, email is perfectly fine as well, sam at thebughunter.com.au. Fantastic. I'll put all those links into the show notes for people. Weirdly, I've got two things I want to promote. I hardly ever promote anything on my own podcast, but uh, before before the next episode comes out, a couple of things are going to be happening. Number one, I'm doing some uh, online webinars for Postman, my new company. Uh, they're starting a series called Space Camp, which is kind of, they're kind of like training sessions for people who are new to the tool. Um, I'm doing one called Continuous Quality with Postman, uh, and it's pitched as a 102 session, which is, whereas a 101 is a complete beginner's guide, 102 is, you know a little bit, but here's all the things you don't know. So it's kind of an, a, a slightly more intermediate guide. That's going to be broadcast live on September the 22nd, and it will be available on YouTube afterwards. So uh, I'll put a link in, to, in next month after that's happened. 
Other big thing that's happening that has um, some degree of testing crossover. Today, I'm launching a brand new podcast on YouTube and on podcast feeds uh, called Tech Team Weekly. Uh, it's myself, uh, a developer colleague called Sanjay Paswani, and fellow friend of the testing community, Gwen Diagram. We're going to be releasing a weekly podcast about UK tech news, looking at to be not just informative, but kind of very discussion-based about things that are happening in the tech scene, uh, things that might affect your organizations. Uh, it's going to be a half-hour episode a week. Episode one drops today. We're very excited to get this started. So if you follow the link to techteamweekly.com, uh, check that out. It's almost like I've started to get my own branding in order. <laughs> and that's been, certainly in part, that's been helped by uh, your discussion today, Sam. Really, really grateful, not just uh, to have you on the podcast, but to see everything you're putting out there. And uh, long may it continue. But thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. Uh, take care, everyone, and we'll see you all next time. Bye. Test Design and Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing, written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island.